Good morning. Thanks, guys. Um, I am so glad to be here with all of you. The last time I got to be with, uh, yo, there's stadium seating. This is awesome. Uh, last time I got to be with you was during the pandemic. And I remember doing a, I think it was like through video or Zoom um, that I got to to hang out with all of you. So I'm glad to be here in person with all of you. Again, my name is Phyllis, and I'm a pastor over at Great Road Church in Acton, which is like west of Boston. And if you ever want to come to the suburbs, please just let me know, get you a ride out there. And so thank you so much to pastors Eugene and Danny for inviting me. It's so great and such a delight for me to be here with all of you. My voice is a little weird because I partied it up a little too hard this past week. I was at a pastor's uh, conference for our denomination, and uh, I just stayed up way too late. Like, there was one night where um, the hotel staff came and asked to, told us to leave because there was a noise complaint because we were laughing too hard. Um, So that's what I was doing. Uh, I know that all of you have just kicked off a series called The Way of Wisdom, so I'm really excited to share with you this morning about how we can put that godly knowledge into practice. But before I get going, I thought I would share about one of my favorite music groups of all time, BTS. Yes, these are my boys, and I even put their names here for your reference, because people at my church do not really know BTS. But I have a feeling maybe there's some army in here. There's no army in here? Are you guys kidding me? It's like Asians in here. Come on. These are your people. Wow. I have a membership in everything. All right. Well, here are their names. Uh, So back in December, the remaining four, RMV, Jimin, and Jungkook, enlisted together for their mandatory military service. Jin, J-Hope, and Suga have already been serving. Jin is my bias. Jungkook is my bias wrecker. (laughs) So now their fans, ARMY, which is me, we're going to wait until we're reunited with them in 2025, and I can't wait. One more year to go, guys. You see, it's not just BTS, actually, who must serve a mandatory service, but it's all males in South Korea who have to participate in this. Actually, nearly 84 countries around the world still have mandatory military services in their laws, even here in the United States, if the need arises. And so for South Korea, mandatory military service was written into law in 1948. But it actually wasn't until 1957 that the conscription was established and actually enforced. And I was digging a little bit into why these years were significant, and upon my research, I learned and realized that a lot of this had to do with defending South Korea from potential threats coming from North Korea. All right, are you guys ready for history? I know this is not history of this church, but you're going to get a little history. All right, so after the surrender of the Japanese in World War II, the United States and the the then Soviet Union drew a line in some other room, in some other part of the world, on a map at the 38th parallel north and divided Korea. And you see, my dad was born just about six months before the end of World War II, And then when he was around five years old, the Korean War broke out on June 25th. 
And many Koreans had to flee to the South, including my dad, his younger sister, and his parents. And as they were fleeing to South Korea, though, both of his parents were captured by the Communist Party, which was ruling North Korea at the time. And my dad, in an instant, became orphaned just over the border in Seoul, South Korea. And you see, throughout my dad's lifetime, he searched for his parents in hopes that they would one day be reunited. Unfortunately, my father, who passed away four years ago, never was able to realize that dream. The Korean War ended in 1953, and the stalemate has left the Korean peninsula divided by what's known as the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. And the DMZ is only about 160 miles long. That's about the distance from Boston to Rockland, Maine, or, or to the Woodbury Common shopping outlets. Yeah, Asians know where that is. <laughs> and about two and a half miles wide, which is about the same distance as the steps of the Capitol building to the Lincoln Memorial, or about as long as the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Even after 70 years, conscription is still going strong in South Korea because of these contentious 160 miles. In case there are any potential threats from either side, so when I was young, my dad would tell me stories of his military service and about the peace that he hoped would have been realized one day in his beloved homeland during his lifetime. But my dad isn't the only one who has grown up with war. Even in my lifetime, war has been all around us. There have been disputes, uprising, conflicts, whatever you want to call it, all around the world for a very long time. Recently, we have been hearing about the violence happening still in Ukraine and the heartbreak of what is happening in Gaza and Israel, as well as the ongoing war in Sudan. And just this past week, as I was sitting in class at our denomination's midwinter conference, a pastor from Haiti had to get his wife and young daughters out because of the escalating and growing civil unrest there. You see, injustice and violence are not only happening all over the world, but it's actually happening right here, in our city, in our neighboring states. And if you look at the scriptures, including our passage today that comes from Proverbs, you see that God actually values justice, peace, to do what is right. In Isaiah 2.4, God used Isaiah to tell God's people of the promise that God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They, the people, will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. I mean, I, I just want to ask God, I, have you looked around the world lately? What kind of promise is that? Are you really going to make that promise happen? How can there be justice and peace without war? Doesn't peace come when there is a victor of war? How could our disputes ever get settled without violence? What is being said about God and the promise that God is stating here in this passage in Isaiah is this. It says that God will be the judge and that God will settle disputes for many people. But first, 
We're going to back up a little bit, and we're going to go to Isaiah 2, 3, and see what it says right before that. It says this, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. What are God's ways? And the author of Proverbs writes this, The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. And then you look in Micah 6.8, and it says this, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And this theme of doing what is right and loving justice and mercy, well, it gets repeated over and over and over again throughout Scripture. God's ways are about justice, mercy, compassion, doing right. This is the knowledge that God is imparting upon us in walking in the ways of wisdom. Well, that is putting justice into practice. You see, the way of wisdom is shalom. It is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, unfailing in love, and faithful. Sound familiar? That's God. Those are the characteristics of who God is, written in the Hebrew scriptures and said directly to Moses in Exodus. And then we see God's ways embodied in the New Testament, in the birth and the life and death of Jesus. If you read Luke chapter 2, there is this accounting of the birth of Jesus. And for time's sake, I'm going to give you an abridged version. You see, the people of God were looking for a king. But Jesus came as a baby. And the people of God thought there would be a big, macho military officials that will come with this long-awaited king. But you know who showed up? An angel showed up. To shepherds who were not known as anything near macho. And if you jump over to Matthew 2, you hear the story of the Magi from the east who came to worship Jesus. And that's not who the people of God would have expected to come to worship their king. And then you head back to Isaiah 9, 6 where it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's be honest, and I've said this before, the people of God were looking for someone more like Prince T'Challa. But instead, God sends Jesus as a baby, a baby who can't hold up their head and needs their diaper changed. You see, God's ways, they are not our ways. They are not the ways of human imagination or effort. And so God paints this imagination for us through these words in scripture that talk about justice and peace, but not just any peace. It's shalom. There's this 
American theologian who talks about shalom in this way. He says, the webbing together of God, this is what shalom is, humans and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delights is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. This is God's way, the way of wisdom, where there is shalom, where things should be the way that they ought to be, restored, reconciled, renewed to God's ways. You see, the root of knowing God's way, though, is by going up to the mountain of the Lord and the relationship that God has initiated with us. And it is in this context of this relationship that we can truly imagine this promise of God for shalom. When we are rooted in God and when God's character is flowing from us, we can let those characteristics, love, grace, slow to anger, abounding in compassion, shalom, we can let those overflow to all those around us. And you see, justice is tied up in that. Because when we are overflowing with the character of God, we see, see and treat all human beings, especially the marginalized, oppressed, and vulnerable through the eyes of God. We possess that love, that care, that compassion, that generosity to our fellow creations of God. And as my dad knew, and my BTS friends know well, the kingdom of God has not yet come to fullness. Our world, it's full of conflict and war is real and many live under the threat of war, ready to pick up their weapons. But what God's promise in Isaiah tells us and what the story of Jesus shows us is that it won't always be this way. We can have true hope that shalom is on the way. And I'm not sure what it means for all the conflicts in the world today. But it does mean that they won't last forever. And it also means for us as God's people, we know which direction we should be moving. We know what the way of wisdom is. That we should be longing for God's shalom and looking to be agents of that shalom. So how then can we be agents of shalom, of that universal flourishing and, the, and walk in that way of wisdom? Well, I have three ideas for you that I want to share. First, remember your baptism. Just a few weeks ago, I got to baptize two children who have been a part of our church for a while. And, and then the week before that, we got to baptize two women who were new to their faith. And what they did in their baptism was a public confession of their faith. And we, the church, made a promise to them that we would remind them of their baptism. And that we would remind them all the time. 
And the way that we would do it would be in our words and in our actions, in our active love in their lives. Reminding them of who they belong to. That they not only belong to us, but more importantly, they are God's beloved. And I hope that in your baptism, you will remember who you belong to as well. You see, your flourishing begins with your creator, who because of their great love for you, sent Jesus to be like you, to be like us, who died and then rose again, fulfilling the prophecies and promise that God had given so long ago. And if you are not yet baptized, talk to Pastor Eugene and talk to Pastor Danny. Because that is a gift that's for you. The second thing is delight in one another. In other words, be captivated by one another. Do someone's heart good. Express to one another how much joy they bring you. See, I have a niece named Claire who's, um, she's four years old. And, and they live in Atlanta, and so I don't, I don't get to see her that often. Maybe just a few times a year. Um, but this past summer, Claire and her family came to visit me. And let me tell you, as soon as she saw me, she came running to me, screaming out, Auntie Phyllis! With everything she had in the middle of this packed Italian restaurant, everyone was looking at her. And my heart leapt with so much joy. And of course, I ran to her as well because it's a four-year-old. And I was shouting, Claire Bear! I just about burst from delight for like three days after that encounter. Whom have you delighted in recently? Is it your children? Is it your partner? Is it your spouse? I don't think, does anyone have grandchildren here? It's a young crowd, guys, young crowd. I want to make sure we cover everyone. Is it your roommate, your small group member, your professor, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends? If you're a young adult, the college students at your church. If you're a college student, the young adult and old people at your church. Imagine if you showed that kind of delight to one person every week. What would it do for that person? Imagine if someone showed you that kind of delight every week. What would it do for you? And here is what I want you to remember. God delights in you that way all the time. Not just Sunday morning when you're here at church. Not just Wednesday night or whatever night you're in small group. Every single moment when you're sleeping, when you're pooping, when you're eating. It's okay to laugh, guys. 
See, it's a little bit like my parents. When I became an adult, um, they were hilarious. Because the tradition was when I was little, my parents would wrap a gift and leave one, just one. Like not by the tree, but actually by the fireplace and sign it with Santa's name. I mean, it was obviously my mom's handwriting. Uh, I'm sorry, am I ruining this for anyone? <laughs> Santa's real. Um, but the gift would not appear until Christmas morning. But as I became an adult suddenly, they, my parents like, could not wait any longer. I don't know why. And so as soon as they picked me up from the airport and brought me home when I was visiting, they would run inside the house and then present me with the gifts that they had been waiting to give all month long. I was like, can I let my suitcase down? They're like, no, you got to open this right now. But this is how they showed their delight in me. They had been thinking of me and planning to give this gift to me. And it was so exciting that they couldn't even wait for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day to give it to me. You see, God wants flourishing for you. And God is bursting at the seams to see you flourish. And as God's people, delighting in one another is not just for our own family, our group, our church, or the ones that we like. We are also invited to delight in those who seem like threats to us. Or those who we may be in a dispute with. Or those we may consider to be our enemies or just plain don't like. Each of us, enemy or not, is an essential part of the image of God. So when I am inviting you to delight in one another, it means all people. It means seeing one another not through the, our lens as human beings, but seeing one another through the lens of God. And when we see the person we are in conflict with through the eyes of God, we can be filled with compassion, with a willingness to listen, to care for, and to build relationships. What would change in your enemy if you delighted in them instead? And what would change in you if you delighted in your enemy? The third thing is to practice shalom. Jesus also didn't enter the world during peaceful times. There was an ongoing conflict over Jerusalem that would eventually turn into war years later. And throughout Jesus' life, people wanted to recruit him for their side. And when Jesus was getting arrested, Peter, one of his disciples, took up his sword. You see, Peter, he was armed and he was ready to fight. And then he ends up cutting someone's ear off. When you read the account in the Gospel of Luke, it says Jesus responded by saying, no more of this. And then he healed the ear. When everyone felt like the only option was to fight, Jesus embodied a healing presence 
that pointed to shalom. And so take some time right now to think about how you can actively practice shalom. Maybe it means that you become a mentor to someone who is formerly incarcerated. Maybe it's befriending and asking that person who you know stands in a different theological place than you to have coffee and a conversation, or someone who's in a different, maybe political stance than you. Maybe it's embarking on an anti-racism small group or going on what's called the Sankofa journey, which is a journey in the south of important civil rights uh, areas to learn more about <coughs> history, but also to see what does God have to say about racial justice? How does that even, why, does that, why should that matter to me? Maybe it's dropping off a meal to someone you know is having a hard time. Or maybe it's talking to someone you don't usually talk to on Sunday. Maybe it's showing up to or helping with an event that the college students or young adults are doing. Or maybe it's reading through the news from around the world and praying for those places where there is violence and war, even those places that normally wouldn't be on your radar. This was totally unintentional, but maybe it's giving more financially to your church, to ministries like the Pines, One Day's Wages, Bread for World, Love Justice, Do Mercy, or the local United Way. The more we practice shalom, the better that we will get at it. So go out there. Practice shalom. Finally, I want to leave you with a word of hope. When I read about everything going on in this world today, I can get bogged down in the impossibility of justice or peace, of ushering in the God way of how things ought to be. And I think a lot about my dad who relentlessly looked for his parents until he passed. You see, he embodied for me Romans 5, 3, 5. It says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Because of his faith in a promise-keeping God, my dad had hope upon hope and knew that he would not be disappointed. Beloved, my prayer for you is that you would remember who you belong to, that you would delight in one another, and that you would be delighted in and that you would actively practice shalom, and that all of this world would be entrenched in the hope we have in Christ. We just celebrated the season of Advent where we were waiting, and yet we are still living in a season of waiting, right? We're waiting for the return of Christ. And in our waiting, we strive to have faith having assurance and certainty that Christ's return is happening. 
We have a big God who has promised us big things and shown us God's way, a way of wisdom. But God has also shown us exactly who God is. He promised keeping God. And because of that, we know that shalom is not just a mere imagination, but will actually be our reality soon. Will you pray with me? God, will you will you bring your Holy Spirit to be upon us so that in those times where we just see, look around this world and see and feel hopeless that you would renew the hope in us you would remind us of exactly who you are. You would remind us that we belong to you, that you delight in us. God, that you would help us to see one another, this world, through your eyes, not just through our our human eyes, but through your eyes. so that, God, we can be active agents of shalom. Lord, for those here who have not felt delight in a long time, will you, will you give them a tangible evidence today, this moment, this afternoon, right now? That they are delighted in that they are an amazing, beautiful creation of you, God. That they are essential to the collective image of who you are without them. Your image would not be complete. And God, for those who may be sitting here where there are enemies, or it feels like enemies, God, Would you give them the courage and the strength to show delight? That that would change not just their enemy, but God, it would change them. And Lord, empower this group of people to be your agents of shalom. So that everything that they do and the words that come out of their mouths would usher in the peace that you have promised to us. That they would not just be sitting in ceasefire or just platitudes to smooth things over for a time being. But God, that they would bring that everlasting peace, the peace that goes beyond reason. They would truly be peacemakers in this world. Move our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our ears. And God, empower us. Let us step out with courage. 
God, we thank you that you delight in us. We thank you that you are our creator. We thank you that you love us. Help us to be filled with that overflowing grace so that we may extend that to all those who encounter us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.